You've heard of crib sheets. Wear your nib sheet. That's right, scribes and scribblers, you're back with the nib section, official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. We've got a new guest today, uh, for, for me anyway. He has been on the show before, but uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I'd like to introduce fearless leader Diana. Well, welcome, Di. Hey, Chuck. And I'd like to welcome our, uh, I suppose, our, our Asian correspondent, Leo Falk, who's joining us today. Hi, Chuck. Hi, Diana. Thanks for finding time to fit in this recording, Leo. You're welcome. I always have way too much to talk about. <laughs> and a lot more I can't talk about. Leo has NDAs. That's fine. <laughs> yes, I've, I have to protect my sources. Yeah, know? yeah. No, that, that makes sense. <laughs> Otherwise, the, you don't burn the lead. No. Yeah. So what are we all writing with today? Okay, I'll go first. You've seen this before. This is my Graf and Faber Castell classic model with the snakewood finish. It was a limited edition. Mm-hmm. I don't remember how many it was limited to. It's got a wonderful extra fine nib. Graf von Faber-Castell make really good extra fines. And it's inked with diamine grape, which is a lovely sheening, dark, almost blackened sort of purple. This pen is always inked with diamine grape. Am I right in saying that uh, Sophia has one of those as well? Am I? Uh, she does have a classic. Sorry, dropped my pen. Uh, she's got a classic, but I think she's got it in the Pernambuco. So it's the lighter, it's like right. a lighter honey-coloured wood. For everyone listening, Dice Pen was still capped when she dropped it. It's all good. It's all good. No <laughs> yeah. ink spill. Uh, I am using an Aurora Edo in yellow that Diana gifted me when she found out that I was uh, potentially going to put Bulletproof Black in a piston filler. Um, and, and I was that, concerned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, it is now my um, specifically for for sketching because I like drawing in ink and uh, it's pretty great. It's a uh, a new entrant and a long list of of uh, yellow pens that I have. So what about you, Leo? What have you got going on? On a similar vein, I'm currently using a an old Sailor F4. Um, that's a reference to just a nib. It's the predecessor to the High Ace Neo, which is, is a very fine steel nib only comes in one size, it's very fine, both in nib and in body. The new ones are all mostly plastic with a metal cap. They have older versions made in Taiwan that are like uh, all aluminium. And I use it because I put platinum carbon black in it for, for, for my sketches. Right, right. So we've got a, a few bits of news. Di, do you want to take this one for our first little bit? Yes, so we have a couple of things we want to talk over before we get to the body of the episode, which is our interview with Annabelle Hiller. But I really wanted to talk briefly about the Pilot 100th Anniversary Limited Edition pen releases, um, because I think they've been getting a bit of coverage on a bunch of blogs and also other podcasts. Um, I think on the Pen Addict um, they talked about it in a couple of episodes, and they were expressing some disappointment with the price range and um, I think how out of reach a lot of these limited editions were. Uh-huh. Will you go over what's actually included in the limited editions, Leo? Okay, so they have, uh, what, three pens out, like three, three, three items. So the top end thing is a 25 sets worldwide only. 
It contains seven pens based on gods or whatever mythology. It comes in a box. It has a pen pillow. There's an ink for every pen. And these are size 10, 18K nib. And by the way, conceptually flawless. I have no trouble at all with the whole set. I am really on board for all of it. So the seven pens, these ones are ring tops, ostensibly. Uh, later on next year, they will sell them individually at a slight markup, and they will be normal flat top with uh, with with clips. I'm looking at the uh, the press release. It's forty eight thousand dollars US for the set of seven pens with matching inks. So that's the set that some people will have problems sourcing, but that's not my problem. Uh, and then on a slightly more affordable level, there will be a the thing that everyone would be expecting, which would be a Namiki 50 size pen and a slightly lower and cheaper um, uh, Pilot 18K size 10 nib pen. Yeah. I mean, these, these two lower end purchases are still, I believe one is in the vicinity of 10,000 Australian and one's like yes 2,000 so standard it's like 1 million yen and 150,000 yeah yeah, yeah. I, I gotta tell you if you're a Japanese company springing for your 100 year anniversary and you like creatively out of the park just knocked it right out of the park I don't mind that I can't afford any of it I'm just real happy that it exists um, <laughs> that's 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 where I'm at uh, I think Pilot is like pretty good about LEs normally, and if this is the one year that you send it all up to the top, then it's not a bad year. And I mean, if you just want something to commemorate the year, I think what, what do you have? You have the yes. the lines, the the lines VP. This year there'll be two VPs. I oh, think. is there? The, the lines is available, yeah. but also in December. I think Goldspot had a video about it. Okay. Uh, there's a gold-plated, ro- gold-plated brass VP in lines, like pinstripe. Like that should be out by the end of this year as well. Neither are particularly 100th anniversary. Just on the on the year. I do like the ink set that is coming with the lacquered set. Um, and that will later be offered in yes. uh, as a set and in 50 mil bottles. Look, guys, I'm I'm real happy with the release, even though I'm not going to have any of it. Like just just design wise, I'm happy with it. So my first response when I first saw the press release was I was just rolling the floor laughing for five minutes because I know people, <laughs> ignoring everyone else in the world who who wants something affordable for them. I know people for which money is on issue. The issue is there's only 25 sets. <laughs> So there'll be some attributed to each region, but then that's taken by people. And, and so then they have to source one by themselves. <laughs> Good luck doing that. 25 pieces. A 100-piece set for the Namiki 50 is a problem. It's still quite a big bit of a problem because that's affordable mm-hmm. by a larger percentage of people. But virtually like, impossible still to get. Yeah. Yes, and 100 pieces and... This is the only time you'll get a Namiki 50 nib mm-hmm. with 100 on the nib. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Never again. 100 pieces only. Yeah. Is it two-tone on the centenary one? The nib has not been shown. Okay. They've only shown the, the small one. They've been real coy about it. <laughs> they are. They did a really good job, like, not leaking any information. I was very impressed. Yeah. yeah like, I didn't have any anybody tell me. <laughs> okay. I have two comments about this. One... 
I think it's worth noting that Pilot is a huge company and they make a shitload of pens beyond fountain pens. And fountain pens are actually a very tiny niche, if probably very profitable, division of their business. The volume is in things like ballpoints, um, gel ink pens, things like that. Of, Of which they do have LAs. They do. Which are fun. They look fun. They look interesting. Exactly. And so I think for Pilot, fountain pens, in terms of their entire business and celebrating the the centenary of their business, it's only a tiny, tiny, tiny portion. And I think it makes total sense for them to want to release products to celebrate that centenary that are going to be showstoppers, that are going to be part of, you know, auction um, sales in decades to come that are really, really difficult to get and really, I think, turn upon the exclusiveness and the um, level of craftsmanship that Pilot is known for. I think this collection makes complete sense um, in my mind. And you also have to think about the fact that these Marquier um, pens are created... Okay, I was listening back to episode two that we recorded last year with Mark and Sophia, and they were talking about the Namiki Makiei craftsmen that um, they were hearing about when they visited the pilot factory in Japan. And I think something like there's only about two dozen Makiei craftsmen who work for Pilot Namiki, the sister company, the division under Pilot that produces these pens. 24 Makiei artisans for the entirety of pilot history. I think it's quite maybe unreasonable to expect them to produce these in the thousands, even if it is a bumper year and it's a celebrate celebratory year. I think absolutely, it's, absolutely. You know, these people they have to sleep and they have to do their regular work as well, and I and don't want them to lower their standards just because it's a celebratory year. They have to fit it in somehow. I don't know what the age range is for their artisans, but I know that the four guys <laughs> the four guys that work for Nakaya, the youngest is fifty six this year. And the oldest is eighty six. So I don't know yeah. like it must be a similar bracket. You can't you can't just push it through. It it makes total sense. Well they couldn't push it through without outsourcing it, and why would you want to compromise on that yeah, for correct. your you know, 100 year anniversary. And the other thing I've, I've been seeing from people is that there's nothing in the mid range um, that you can get, you know, the limited edition releases, they go from the Kakuno and the Acrobores at the lower end, um, which are just stamped, I think with the 100 anniversary um, symbol, logo, whatever. Well, I think um, Leo has something to say. I have Acrobores, not Kakunos. The Kakunos the are not Bible, sorry. You sure? Yeah, I've been trolling oh, no. everyone. Because Leo showed a photo of them on, um, on are Facebook. Those, are those just a part of the shareholder set? Oh! <laughs> no! I've been spreading misinformation. Yes. <laughs> People have been trying to get them, and I have not been replying because I... <laughs> Okay. Sorry, so, so in the fountain pens that are available for sale, it's just the Namiki Makie pens. Yeah, so it's a bit tough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it is a bit tough. Um, but for those of you who can afford the, um, is it the number 10 and the number 50? And of course, those yeah. massive, um, the gods and um, myths Look, pens. If you get that set, I want to interview you i just want to know what the rest of your <laughs> i just want to know what the rest of your collection entails 
Um, I want to know what resources you you brought to bear to to lock one of those down. If by some chance you are listening to the podcast and you do get one, shoot us an email. I will do the interview. <laughs> I can briefly talk about like the the history behind this. So like a lot of this comes from Br- Bruno Tout from Chronica Estilograficus uh, on Blogspot. Like, like he's He's a cool guy who lives in Japan and gets to see a lot of Japanese pens. Um, and I think he sometimes works with KMPN on Blogspot, who's based in Hong Kong, to talk about like just weird Japanese pen stuff in general. Between them, I think they have most of the uh, special anniversary edition pilots throughout the years. Between the two? Yes. Okay. Okay, so like, um, if we go... this is I'm doing this off of memory. This is for crazy people <laughs> with problems, so not me. Okay. So the earliest one that people know about is like a seven, uh, the 65th anniversary, and it's around the same shape as a modern custom 74, mm-hmm. and it has a but with a size 10 nib. And I think this is one of the earliest pens with like an integrated con 70. So you can't remove that. No, it's a faceted con 70. It's very strange. Uh, and then after 65th was the 70th anniversary, and that was. It's called a vest type. It's a flat top. Wait, okay. Leo is showing us all these pens. Do you own these pens, He's Leo, or they they lent to you? I no. I just found them in a the box somewhere. Don't worry about it. Okay. Not revealing his uh, sources. Yeah, but but Leo <laughs> doesn't have problems. It's no. And, and so both of uh, and so it's like one of the earliest um, modern flat top style pens. So, that so both... is a real nice flat top. It does look like the the model that they're making the LEs like. Yes. But these are from a brittle plastic. It has a barley corn pattern on it, uh, which has now been... The barley corn pattern is used on some special editions these days. Yeah. Uh, 75th looks like the 70th with just with a bit more, few more rings. 80th is extremely rare. It came in red and black, big, round, uh, rushi like an eye drop, Japanese eyedropper style I think as a bread and a black version very plain except for the cap ring which had four gods on it its nickname is four gods Shijin Seisan the having only decoration around the cap band is a callback to the original pilot Markia stuff where they only decorated um, like the, the, the lower bit of the cap yeah. with with Markia um, so that's 80, 80th 85th um, lean's expensive because it's it was a flat top and is sterling and the, it's some bodhisattva Buddha thing um, um, pattern and then an odd one on 88th not a multiple of five they made the Neo which is gold and like plastic plastic 80th started doing Arushi on brass 85th sterling yep. and Makia Arushi 88 Neo the two guardians of the Buddha mm-hmm. uh, is Urushi on brass. 90, 90 is the... Oh, what's the name of again? Someone just told me. It, it was... 90th was a... Kintoki... I, I forget what it's called, but it, but it was also a, marquee, uh, a much more plain Raden gold sparkle little bit of Urushi. And 95th was Rising Dragon, which is very pretty because it has drag on it. Alongside these these pens, most of which are size 10 18k nibs, um, some of the more recent ones from I think 90 onwards had a, an accompanying Namiki 50 pen. 
which was like big. And, and typically, it's been a hundred k, like one hundred thousand yen and one million yen for those two levels. How much is that? Like twelve thousand US thereabouts. Yeah, and then hundred twenty thousand. And so everyone was expecting the the size ten and the size fifteen、yeah. pens. But they went for the tier above. And then they went. Yeah. So the seven、above. gods is the extra, is the bonus、yeah. this year. Yeah. yeah. And they raised the price on the lower end one from a hundred thousand to a hundred fifty thousand. Well, that was just uncalled for. <laughs> Like nobody's business, and so if if you have a small problem, then you might get a small one, and if you have the funds, you will get the bigger one, and then finally, for the twenty-five set, it will be a bloodbath. <laughs> Leo, I know you have your sources. Do you have your eye on any of them? Uh, I will probably. I can probably say I can. I will get the small one. That that, that one's within my means. That's the number ten nib. Yes, number ten. Yes.、Yeah. The ones with、nice. gold,、uh, yeah. Usually, if it's gold trim, it's always a ball clip. If it's silver trim, it's it's a sword clip. Yeah. Okay. Is the is the teddy bear also just the shareholder set? Oh, that one I've seen slowly coming out around the world.、Um, I, I know Malaysia did it, and then in Hong Kong, I had to buy a really expensive twenty USD set of like Pilot Juice Up pens to get this. So, but you can you can get the teddy bear. bear. Oh, nice. You get the teddy bear. Well, let's let's stay in the realm of、uh, Japanese pen news. For Sailor, the Naginata Togi nibs have、uh, been officially discontinued, the old ones anyway, and on sale from today, day of recording, October fifth. They have the new nibs, which we'll talk about for a bit. But the main thing、uh, is,、oh, I mean, there's two main things. I'm gonna, I'll mention the first one, and <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sure ahead, you'll、yeah. get it there. But the first one I'm gonna mention is that they seem to be Japan only for now,、um, and I will, I'll leave <laughs> you two to talk about the, the other main things. So the press release I only saw today.、Um, Max only、oh, shared、okay. it today. As far as I know, for now they're only available in Japan. But that's not to say that、um, there won't be people who、mm. buy them in Japan then resell them on and, yeah. yeah on Yahoo and、uh, sorry not on Yahoo on eBay and places like that. But mainly, I think what concerns me is what、well, we were expecting the prices for these nibs to go up, correct?、Mm-hmm. Um, but、yeah. I didn't expect them to go maybe, up maybe incrementally <laughs> quite this much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so. Uh, the Asians, let's say the the Taiwanese, the Hong Kong, the Chinese, they are very crazy about their naginata. Okay, that makes These sense. These people have naginata problems. And that's and that's like a a large market as well. Like yes, it's like it's like the Western craze for flex or italic, that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like the Chinese chase naginata, and so. People spotted this news sometime last week. It got shared amongst the groups.、Um, oh, we 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 did not have the lead on this one, though. <laughs> sorry, I. And so, the immediate response of most of these people will probably be, "Oh no, this means that the earliest generation of Naginata done by Nagaharu Junior is only going to go further up in price. The current generation by Nagaharu Junior has now." Suddenly, their value has appreciated for no reason other than Sailor discontinuing and making this third generation, which now costs twice as 
much essentially it's like 20 um so like an mrsp across music basically there's a 125 percent for the food day and everyone (laughs) everything else falls in between yeah a lot of them are around 100 percent, so double the price of the previous generation uh yes so three three things to comment on uh to get the facts right um so the new ones are not being crafted by the nagahara family whether it's the nagahara senior or the son correct i don't know you don't know okay so it's just rumor (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um leo i think it was you who remarked um you you said i think in message or in comment that it looks like that nagahara jr is striking out on his own because i've been seeing him posting on his instagram um pictures of his nib work and Mm. presumably maybe um offering his services elsewhere (laughs) outside of the sailor family oh is that's that's interesting (laughs) Is that Roma or is it is it conjecture? Is it, or is it a matter of public what? record at this stage? Okay, not to move, not not to jump a little bit ahead, but apparently he was at the Tokyo International Pen Show, possibly working for a sailor, and he had a minder. Oh, so he was there, but they didn't quite trust him <laughs> entirely. It looked like he had a minder. <laughs> <laughs> We'll get back to the Tokyo International Pen uh, Show. Corporate, <laughs> corporate intrigue. <laughs> Last thing to, to comment about the new um, Nakinata nibs is that the engraving on the nibs have changed. The lattice work uh, is gone. No more framing. I think the lattice is meant to resemble like a net going with the sailing des- um, theme of Sailor. Uh, but that all of that is gone. Now it, I think it's just... On the new nibs. Let me uh, let me open my sailor up and take a look. But um, that's that's gone, and it's only on. Uh, there's new bodies as well, aren't there? Yeah. Yeah. Slightly different bodies, um, but the, we, we the have cap ring has special <laughs> enamel in it. <laughs> well, uh, Sharon, uh, oh no, Max said it was cloche so it would be enamel on the cap band, uh, the cap ring. But yeah, a lot of changes in Sailor, and it fits in with the general uh, trend of them changing the the packaging and upping the prices significantly, like they're doing with the inks. <laughs> you know, I, I love Sailor, <laughs> and this is making it a little bit difficult. <laughs> I think Sailor does great work. I would love if they got new converters, and that's really all I have to say about them normally. Yeah. Yeah, they 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 do great work. Like this this makes sense, and Sailor does good work. Um, they are they are in position to be a more luxury brand, but I, I would I would have liked that if they increased that they would have kept detail rather than mm-hmm. removing detail and increasing price. Oh, so this has led to as someone who doesn't have a Naginata problem, I get to watch all my friends. First, they swept through all the Hong Kong stores to buy up all the Naginata. And then suddenly, when local stocks are out, suddenly MRSP Naginatas from the West are now fair, fair game. So it's, it's all good for Sharon. She bought up all the Naginatas she could find about two years ago, and she's stockpiling them. She's sold her mediums, but not her finds, I believe. I, I doubt that she's sold all her mediums. I'm sure she's kept at least two back in real Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, she, she, she has sold a couple, but the mediums are medium in name only, otherwise I'd have one. <laughs> and, and the reason that the Naginata is so popular in the East Asia market is because they're more suited to writing 
Chinese kanji um, yes. Asian yes. characters, right? Yeah, yeah, Same yeah. way that writing in Western characters is suited to flex um, for that continuous cursive yes. style. Yeah, yeah. Um, naginata nibs, they give you different line strokes depending on the angle that you hold the nib. And so it gives a lot of character to writing uh, Asian characters. So that makes complete sense to me. Just gonna, just gonna have to have more people going for um, the the Aurora calligraphy nibs. So that um, I'm not entirely sure about the exact source of them, uh, but either Ray Chang thought it was a great idea, or last year Aurora did a Aurora night in Hong Kong to do some marketing stuff, and some of our members did show the Aurora nibmeister like some naginata. But I'm sure it's a combination too. Like there is a market for naginata, and so so in Hong Kong they sell them. You can you pay a small premium, around like a hundred Australian, if you buy a special edition pen, and you can get a CEF, CF, or CM. So CEF is calligraphy extra fine, yeah, and so on, yes. right? Yeah. And judging by the feeds, they literally took EFF and M mm-hmm. or Royal nibs and then did it in a naginata style. They apparently come with signed certificates from the from the Aurora side, so maybe the Italians are doing it. I think this is genius. To be I, honest, I think it's it's a it's a great it's <laughs> right. a great play. Uh, me and me and Di love Aurora as well. It's like the perfect combination of nibs I love and the body that I really really like. You should move on to the next topic, Leo. Please tell us about the the, the Tokyo International Pen Show. Okay, so uh, that happened this past weekend, which was. Uh, Late last weekend of September. So okay, last weekend of September. 29th, It I was think? organized. Yes, it was organized by Karusan of Bangbox together with Iboya, who supplies a lot of uh, ebonite, but also make their own pens. They managed to uh, secure a location in central Tokyo for two days, and I believe their attendance numbers totaled around. 16,000. It was 11,000 on the first day. 5,000. I know, right? And 5,000. See, you said you said secured a location like it was going to be a, a like quiet little members only event. And then 16,000. Over two days. Jeez. And 5,000 on the second day because of a typhoon, but still 5,000 people showed up. Um, they had a show exclusive ink. Um, made by Sailor. I think it was called Antarctic Ocean Blue. And it was a new square bottle, 50ml, with uh, penguins on it, on an ice floe. Um, they had 100 bottles, and 50, so 50 each day. They were sold out within the first five minutes. Uh-huh. Each, yeah. It's tough. Yeah. <laughs> they tried very hard to make sure everyone, like a lot of the stalls being shown were makers. So we are talking like Musubi, the, the, the diary team were there. Um, I know Yaqing Style was there with, with her glass nib pens. Uh, a lot of like smaller accessory makers. Just, just really people who, who made stuff, pen wraps and, and everything. Producers, not retailers. Yes. Like, for example, Eurobox wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And like, he would be a prime suspect. But like, um, Pilot and Sailor did not have retail booths there but they did they, their presence was there in the form of like clinics and, and like oh here's how we make our pilot pens or something 
and Sailor was there for, as like Nag- Nagahara Jr. just like I think it was a peg clinic or something supervised <laughs> attendance <Yes. laughs> uh, Sailor had an inky mixing station with the inky mixing master apparently there was no platinum and no Nakaya okay like they're, that's they're, interesting no boost, but I think that's because they like these are all small makers maybe they made an effort not to invite any big department stores who would have who could have would have right, right, right. had stalls I did see photos and, and, and I saw this photo of um, Shinichi Yoshida from Nakaya just walking around the show floor <laughs> he's so easy to spot he's so small uh, some western sellers with that I think Mora Stylos with the old winds uh, Earth Bay and a few others but yeah it, it was um, I was talking with a friend and he was like yes it, it, was, it was amazing how few vendors there were everyone was like their own self-made makers and what's the feedback sort of like from the show I think it was probably a rousing success. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for them. See, now, because because it's not during Cherry Blossom season, and, and Cherry Blossom season is when the other shows um, are generally on, aren't they? Right, 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 right before. Right this before is why Cherry I'm Blossom a, season. So, yeah. uh, yes. early March? Um, well, on the note of pen shows, and this is, this is more for Diana, but uh, Mel, who made all of the pen hoodies for the Sydney pen show, um, mm-hmm. I got her to make me a little custom job, and so I have a little purple and yellow pen hoodie. Um, That's adorable. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> great. And uh, I, I should have mentioned that earlier, but here we are. I have some blistering fresh news from like this morning when I was walking around, taking my friend around Hong Kong, which was that uh, Hong Kong has like a few brick and mortar stores, and this morning I apparently. Someone's opened in the central business district uh, an ink store. Just ink. With a a wall of ink. <gasps> so, so that's a new place to visit in Hong Kong. I, I can't remember the name of okay, it. Okay, you have to send me the address because I think I'll be in Hong Kong yes. uh, next month. Late next month or early November. Late next month is a poor time. I'm in Tainan. Oh, not next month. This month. We're already in October already. So late October. Oh, no, it's October. It is already October. Can you believe it? I forget the name of it, but but I'm like, I can't believe the owner of the store. Oh, hey, it's you from, because I was wearing my Pelican Hub (laughs) t-shirt. It's you from the Hong Kong Pelican Hubs. Yeah. So uh, we got to interview um, today uh, Annabelle uh, Hiller, who is a nib specialist for Apple Boom in the Netherlands. Uh, Disclaimer. Uh, Annabelle doesn't speak for uh, Apple Boom. Uh, she's someone who works for the store part-time uh, as a nib expert, and uh, I got to interview her. Um, I believe on Instagram she is a Strings and Pedals. Uh, it's P-E-D-A-L-S, uh, because she is a harpist, which we talk about a little. Disclaimer for me in advance, uh, we recorded the interview between 2 a.m. and 3 a.m., uh, <laughs> and I, I very much have a... Uh, late night love song dedication uh, radio <laughs> host vibe. Uh, so keep that in mind uh, as we enter. Hello, hello. I'm here this evening with the very friendly and talented Annabelle, who started out as uh, an odd viewer on Instagram that um, I noted had a feed peppered with uh, fountain pen things. And uh, welcome, Annabelle. Hi, Chuck. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, no, we're, we're happy to have you. In the spirit of the show, uh, what are you writing with today, Annabelle? Um, I'm writing with a, a pen that is actually not mine. 
Um, it's eight customers who asked me to grind it down, which I just did an hour ago, and I'm I'm quite happy with it. I'm quite proud of it, and it's the first time that I've ground down a gold nib for someone else. Um, so it's a Dialogue 3 with a 14-carat gold nib, the black one with the silver trims on it. I think we might have jumped ahead because I didn't tell everyone. <laughs> but um, when you say a customer... What do you mean? If if you can, you just let everyone know, you know, sort of why why you're a person of interest that we wanted to interview. <laughs> right. Um. So I'm the official nip specialist at Appelbaum Penner, which you guys might know. It's the a pen store in the Netherlands. And um. Yeah. So I work for for Joost at Appelbaum. I do general quality control stuff of certain brands that you might know for not having great quality control. <laughs> so I just tend to make sure that all the pens that we ship out, especially the usually troublesome ones, actually do work and do their job. Um, especially once you buy a pen in a certain price range, it should work, De- in my opinion. <laughs> Definitely. No, I, th- I think me and uh, me, Sharon and I talk about that a lot. That uh, Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, above a certain price point, you know, you, you expect a certain ease of use. Yeah. You know, that that's an interesting um, job. And I, th- I think a lot of the nib section hosts were, were kind of curious. What, what is your uh, what is your background? What got you started in the, that kind of role? Right. So initially, I had nothing to do with anything fountain penny. I'm actually a trained, a classically trained harpist. So I've used fountain pens all my life because that's what you do in Austria. You just start writing with fountain pens when you're little. And for my 18th birthday, I got a quote-unquote proper fountain pen um, for the first time, which was a vintage Mont Blanc with a glass nib because I'm left-handed and the people didn't trust me with a gold nib, (laughs) 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 which is kind of ironic looking back now. Um, So, yeah, I, I got really interested in what makes a pen work, what makes a pen write. So I would go to flea markets and buy pens, no matter whether they wrote or not. I just wanted to know what makes them, you know, what they are. So I would take them apart, figure out how they work, what makes them do the thing, and put them back together, then put them back together in the way that they actually would write. <laughs> and so just slowly figuring out what what needs to be done to to kind of revive an old pen. And at some point I started reaching out to, on the Fountain Pen Network forum. Um, so at that point I'd already moved to the Netherlands because um, I'm not from here. And I asked around whether there's any sort of pen culture here because I thought there wasn't, honestly, how wrong I was. Um, so I asked one of the founders of the Fountain Pen Network, he had done some nib work and we sat down once and he showed me some little tricks on how to manipulate a nib to make it write better, which was a great start. Um, but I just, you know, I kept tinkering with my own pens and then with pens of friends of mine who were like, oh, can you ever look at this for me? And eventually, um, at pen, you know, meetings and stuff, people would just come to me with their pens and I would keep fixing them. And at some point, I grew confident enough to say, guys, can I have some money for this, please? I think this is pretty much exactly the way that it's gone for uh, for, for a few of us. Uh, <laughs> I say us, it's not me. Uh, but for, for a couple of the people on the section, it started out as just general uh, tuning and repair yeah, exactly. work for, for yourself, and then it kind of escalates. Yeah. I've also, 
um, might be relevant is probably relevant. I I also specifically after so I had to quit music um, for medical reasons, and then I kind of looked around at what I could do instead, and so I decided to become a goldsmith, not to make jewelry because I don't really care about jewelry. I want to know how metal works and how you can work on metal and like change its characteristics and whatnot in order so like to to make pens in the end. So that that's my end goal, making my own pens. Uh, I've seen some of your jewelry work on your on your Instagram, but that that's all in service of uh, eventual fountain pen work. Yes, yes, exactly. They're just assignments; you have to do them. Is that right? So your your role is a nib specialist in Applebaum. How, how much work do you get there for for QC? I know I know Applebaum doesn't do custom grinds. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yes. At the moment, most of your work is uh, like uh, aligning and just ensuring, sort of making sure that there's there's nothing like a pinch tines or baby bottoms that that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So. I started off going through entire through the entire inventory um, of Visconti and Pelican, where the, the nibs that I worked on initially. Um, Visconti to make sure that they actually write, because some of them don't. <laughs> but once they do, they're great. Gotta say that. Um, so that was sometimes they would like literally not write at first, and then sometimes there's maybe it's bottoms, maybe sometimes they're misaligned, sometimes they need more polishing, sometimes they need less polishing anything same with pelican um but to a lesser degree but nothing severe i would say and we've now started um recently started that if customers have dropped the nibs or broken the nibs or damaged them in any shape or form that they can come back to us and send us the pen and i will have a look at it and we repair those at the moment for free and for those who didn't purchase the pen from us, um, we do charge a little fee depending on, you know, the severity of the damage. Fair enough. A thing that we're doing now, very slowly, because I'm still, it's still a work in progress because I'm still learning and I'm still evolving and there's nobody to learn from here, sadly. But I currently do nib grinds for free um, with the disclaimer that I'm still learning, <laughs> so if, if that's a risk that you're willing to take, and I'm not saying that it's going to be horrible, but it might be. <laughs> so so if you're willing to have a nib, you know, if you have if you're willing to have me play with a nib, and it could be a really cool nib in the end, it might not. But anyway, the charge is for free because I'm not going to make you pay for a nib grind that you might hate in the end. Yeah. Okay. I think a couple of our, our local guys are, are the same way. They want to make sure they're they're very picky about the the nibs that they release into the wild uh, <laughs> with, with their name on them. So, so Annabelle, what, what do you normally use your your pens for in your in your own life? Uh, good one. Right. So, I usually use my pens for keeping my mind under control. Like, I need to I need a certain level of like organization in my life with the different layers to it so private nip work 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 school um private things i do lots of some writing some art and a lot of watching tv and randomly writing down quotes 
<laughs> as I watch a show or a movie. I, I do that with podcasts, and because I listen to so many improv podcasts, it often looks like stream of consciousness gibberish. Right. Uh, I, th- I think that it's an interesting point about managing and kind of making sense of your life, uh, which is, I think, a, lo- a lot of why people bullet journal. Right. Tying disparate elements together. Yeah. I don't do bullet journaling, though. I do mind maps with lots of lines that connect things, and it looks mad and beautiful <laughs> the writing equivalent of the cork board with the red string <laughs> essentially my mind is a crime wall so it's called from a goldsmith's point of view um what are you what are your thoughts on um vintage nibs this this question comes from diana compared to say say your your modern gold nibs right <laughs> i i love vintage gold nibs um, there's obviously, um, there used to be a different approach to how nibs were made. Now you just have, like, there's a lot of things that come into play with gold nibs. And you guys talked about this at length at some point um, during a the nib episode, I think, about how different alloys work differently. Not every 18-karat gold nib is the same 18-karat gold. And it's always made of different things. And depending on how much copper there is in the gold, it will harden it or soften it or make it more flexible. And whatever it is that they did um, in vintage nibs, and also the fact that the nibs have aged, that is something that people really don't take into account a lot. But the, the gold has aged. It has gone through summer and winter and summer and winter and any kind of temperature and any kind of everything affects metal all the time. Maybe not visibly, but we sense with our hands as we write a lot more than the eye can see anyway. So I think because it's such old gold and because it's been used for so long, or maybe not even used that much, um, it just it will automatically write differently than than any modern nib will, you know, that's just being pressed out of a plate of just a sheet of gold. This next question comes from uh, Max, and he he's interested to know um, what's in your toolbox because he he says that his is pretty limited for nib work, um, and it's just a, a loop, a set of uh, feeler gauges, some micro mesh, and uh, water stones. But he's curious as to what you carry on hand for for the Apple Boom work. <laughs> oh boy, too much. Um, I I don't use micro mesh. I don't believe in it. Um, it's because it's usually padded and that gives away control. Um, I only use Mylar um, and then, you know, very fine gridded um, polishing paper that jewelers use. And I need to be able to be uh, to control how hard the surface is that I work on. I also have um, a loop. I also have a loop lamp. I have a nib block, which is like an acrylic plastic nib block that, that you can reshape a nib on. Um, I have a whetstone as well. And I just used a beautiful toy at school, um, which is this giant microscope that usually stone setters use for setting tiny stones, tiny, tiny stones, like one millimeter stones into silver, and they will usually set them over a whole surface. And that is ridiculously detailed work. But nobody at my school is really skilled enough yet to use it, so the only person using it is me. So I've been playing around on that a lot to to actually do grinds and to actually see what is happening on the and once like 
once I can afford it, I will get myself one of those bad boys because they're beautiful. <laughs> yeah, I do have a jeweler friend, and there's a constant awareness of upgrading the tools that you're working with. <laughs> oh, boy. Yes, I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, on the note of nibs, uh, Diana has another question about the gold versus steel versus palladium nib. What is your preferred nib? If you could design your own dream nib... Uh, what would it be like? Oh, um, oh wow, that is a loaded question. That is difficult. I, I don't think I've tried enough nibs to know exactly. I don't hate palladium nibs at all, which some people will be raging about. Um, I have a Visconti palladium nib that I think is my is the best nib I own for everyday comfortable riding. Steel is alright, but a steel nib won't ever feel like a gold nib. Like you can you can do all the tuning and all the polishing in the world, but it will never quite feel the way a gold nib does to me. Um, but I tend to sense every little thing. But which is not to say that steel nibs can't be great. I have some wonderful, wonderful steel nibs, but I prefer gold or palladium. Um, probably gold though, and. Yeah, it's. I don't know. It's difficult. Let me design that nib. I'll get back to you on that in like ten years' time once I've decided my own nibs. Okay, we'll we'll make it a, a future episode or something. Yes. I know. Um, one of the other hosts, uh, Brian, is uh, he, he has said to me, um, whenever he buys a pen, he wants there to be some sort of expressiveness. Uh, in in the nib, you know, he he wants to have character when he he writes with it. He wants to feel something, mm-hmm. and um, which is why he doesn't like a steel nib. And I I will agree that uh, I have used some some pretty great steel nibs, but it is uh, there's not a lot of uh, feedback. Um, I, I don't just mean that in the sense of that there's. Uh, you know the the way that we normally talk about feedback being like a writing with a mechanical pencil. It's just that mm-hmm. it's it's kind of one way. It's your pressure onto the page, and there's not a lot of uh, you know sensation back towards you. Right, right. Like a back yeah. and forth between you and right. I mean, the the big exception to that, <laughs> I think, are Ralph's nibs. Have you tried one of his? Uh, I have not. Um, if you if you just want to um, let everyone know who you're talking about, right? Uh, Ralph Ray is of Regalia Nibs, um, the the mad boy who plays with nibs, stacks them on top of each other, makes them flexy as hell. He 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 makes steel nibs very very special, and they will give you that sort of experience. I believe Diana and Tav and Max all each have a nib from Ralph. I know one of them has the symphony, the nine-tined music nib, which is a truly, truly oddball uh, piece of of machinery. Yeah, yeah. I talk to Ralph quite often about, you know, about different creations and, like, how he gets there and, like, the frustration that goes into it and the amount of nibs he kills to create them. But, oh, boy... When a nib comes out, <laughs> it'll be a monstrosity of absolute beauty. 
That's that's the the funny thing about especially when you are in the experimental phase, you go through so many things to get the one result. But once you start, once you settle on that as a process, you do, you don't end up wasting so many materials. It's it's just a experimental. Um, right. It's just fodder. <laughs> yeah. And Annabelle, what would you say are uh, some some common nib work mistakes when people are trying to fix issues on their pen? Right. Number one, never use pliers. Never. Just don't. Put them away. Put them away right now. Um, second of all, don't polish um, or use micro mesh or whatever without constantly checking your work. Um, you know, whatever feels good. And often, if you polish your nib and it's still scratchy, then the issue is not that it's not polished enough. It's either misalignment or that the Often when a nib is made, they will put on the iridium point onto the nib and then they cut the slit, you know, that then leads to the breather hole. Um, And that slit, the edges of that are really, really, really sharp. So that's the bit that is actually not polished. Um, And that's the bit that feels scratchy on the paper. So what you want to do is you want to try and get between those tines and round that bit off, as opposed to just polishing the same bit over and over and over. So have a bit of a spatial awareness of the tipping material. Get yourself a loop. Constantly check what you're doing. And then you should be good. All right. That's that's a little primer for us uh, to begin with. I do have a few more questions that are uh, from the team. Um, One from Diana. Uh, Professional advice to someone who wants a perfect nib that that writes right out of the box something right out of the box that that writes perfectly what would you recommend uh i mean again it really 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 depends on your preference because i would say a like the fabric style grip that's a new very budget pen <laughs> from fabric style and that one just writes beautifully and super smoothly unless you're not into that and honestly the pens that write right away I never get to touch because I don't need to fix them. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a good point. That, in, that you're, you're in charge of QC. Uh, along those lines, if someone wanted a particularly wet nib, a particularly soft nib, and a particularly good factory italic, uh, what would you recommend for either of those three? Oh boy, um, um. That is so difficult. Uh, Pelicans can be wet. Uh, Viscontis can be wet. Again, I need to look at them first. (laughs) Plug, plug, plug. Order from Applebaum. Tell me what kind of nib you want and you'll get it. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I can't, I can't really think of many because I, again, I don't touch that many nibs. um, Out of the box. That do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And like if I touch them out of the box and I, you know, I adjust them to the way. That they should You're write. in charge of the uh, the misfits in in a '90s movie. You'd be Emilio Estevez in the Mighty Ducks. <laughs> I, I would like to talk a little bit about the history of uh, Applebaum and um, maybe a little bit about the Dutch pen community. That's the ironic thing. I thought there was hardly anything, but then I realized how wrong I was. You know, with there being Applebaum and Ackermann and um, Lucky Rodicant and Fontplumo and like a gazillion fountain pen stores. I I had no idea. Um, And there's also a a beautiful community here of stupidly generous people. Um, So the history of Applebaum, 
I'd like to add that I don't speak for Applebaum because I'm just the person that goes there and fixes pens. But as far as I understand, as far as I know, um, Yoast, so Applebaum was a store for a long while and it was Yoast's father who ran the store. Um, but I believe he passed away and two years ago Yoast decided to make Applebaum a fountain pen exclusive pen. So not not fountain pen, but writing instruments exclusive pen because before then they had books as well. And like I think it was a bookstore with a small stationery section. And he decided to focus on writing instruments. And that he started two and a half years ago. And that's when he opened his own little shop in Lara, which is a tiny town here in the Netherlands. And as for the community, I think it started with a Pelican Hub a couple years ago that we realized Joost was actually um, the hubmaster. Joost and Stephen Esbury Brown, they were the hubmasters of that Pelican event. And we realized we all like each other a lot and we should hang out more often. So we turned this casual thing into a more serious thing and decided to have semi-regular pen meetings in random cities in the Netherlands. So we tried to go into a different town every time. So we'll sometimes we'll meet in Leiden, then in Amsterdam, then in The Hague. And every other time we try to do it in a city that has a fountain pen store and usually that fountain pen store will then give us a sweet, sweet discount for that day. <laughs> for the for the mention or for the showing up and uh, gathering for people? For showing up, and, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, which is really nice. And um, the community is ever-growing. This year we have, and we already did last year, we have two Pelican Hubs coming up. So one in Amsterdam, one in The Hague. I don't know, it's wonderful. I've had, I've had people literally just like, give me pens because they thought they I would probably take care of them better than than they would um, or I would treasure them more than they would and that's just the kind of generosity that you get to know yeah. um, when you're part of the community, it's crazy I love it so much <laughs> that, That's great, that's great the sim- Similar things have, have happened over here as well, I've definitely in the making of this podcast seen a few pens change hands um, unasked for <laughs> I've just uh, been gifted between people and it's been um, it's been really great I'm sure uh, that we'll uh, have to get you on again gladly for the listeners um, I didn't have to pitch very hard to get Annabelle onto the show she was already a listener <laughs> yes I was I've been for a while I think <laughs> in fact when I asked you gave me your your best uh, version of our intro <laughs> Welcome, welcome, Scrubs and Scribblers. Yeah, which, which is pretty good. We might have to get you to do the intro when we get you on again. <laughs> as long as you write up the puns. Uh, in advance, yeah. I, um, I, I, do, I do scripted work. It's, it's like a 50-50 scripted and improvised. Um, if you can that. hear the self-satisfaction in my voice, then it's probably improvised. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we made friends uh, over Instagram. Uh, just uh, through the the nib section posts or something. I I found I found my way onto your profile and I was I saw the Apple Boom bit and I, I pitched it to the team that we should interview you and uh, it has been a pretty great addition to the podcast so far. To cap it off, uh, I would like to give you the opportunity to recommend something to the um, listeners. Yay! I've wanted to recommend something on the podcast for such a long time, you have no idea. <laughs> uh, well, go um, ahead. So, last night I went to a gig 
um, of a girl called Michaela Davis. She's an American singer-songwriter and also a classically trained harpist. And so she did this thing where she did, she got her bachelor's degree, um, you know, playing harp. And now she does her completely own thing. And her band has such a cool sound and such a cool vibe to it. And I'm a big fan. And I think all of you should check out her latest album called Delivery. And she's also touring Europe right now with my harp. <laughs> so I got to meet her yesterday and I wish her the best of luck for her tour. But yeah, everybody go check out that album, please. And she, she's using your harp for the duration of the tour, is that right? Yeah, yeah, because she didn't bring her harp from the States, which I completely understand. You don't, you don't want to transport one of those too far. <laughs> no, one of those 40 kilo giant X slices. Mm. Now you're good. <laughs> those instruments are known for, for being portable and they're easy to transport. Well, uh, thank you for the recommendation, Annabelle. Um, it's been lovely having you on the show. For, for the listeners, it is 2.42 two in the morning uh, because we uh, I, I stayed up to do this uh, at a time that was convenient for Annabelle uh, on, on Netherlands time. What are you talking about? It's just about dinner time. Yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for staying no, awake. No, no, thank next time Next time I'll get up at two in that, the morning. That's all right. Now. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Um, I'm sure that you will uh, see an increase in people asking for perhaps uh, their, their nibs to be worked on by you from Applebaum. That will be great. Just anything that will help me practice and learn, honestly. Cool. Thank you very much. So we recorded that interview before the 2018 Pelican Hubs, uh, which is why she mentioned the upcoming hubs. Um, she does have a uh, website, uh, Opus Sinceris, and we'll have the link in the show notes. And you can check out links to photos of uh, her work uh, and her nib tuning tools. There's a bunch of uh, stuff there. Look, if you're in the Netherlands or Belgium and want to find out more about the Fountain Pen community there, there is a link to the Fountain Pen, uh, the Netherlands group in the show notes. Um, I sent um, Annabelle a little bit of a message as a follow-up um, after I listened to your interview, Chuck. Great work, by the way. Even if you were, you sounded, you sounded like you were um, <laughs> a little <laughs> bit drunk <laughs> or badly jet lagged. So it was two two a.m. to three a.m. I was doing the interview, and I'd been up at four o'clock for a morning shift like the previous day at that point. <laughs> so it had yeah. been it had been going on twenty two, twenty three hours of being up. Um, you are remarkably articulate. <laughs> yeah, yes. look, I held it together a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, you, no, you, you were saying? I messaged Annabelle um, through Instagram. Annabelle's, Annabelle's actually a long-term listener of the podcast. She's been sending us um, comments and feedback through Instagram for the last, I don't know, six months or more. But um, I got to ask some more questions about the exact nature of the work that she does for Applebaum. And basically, she, she revealed that... So every single Pelican and Visconti nib that comes in through Appleboom, she checks before they go on sale. Sight unseen. And that's because, sight unseen. And that's because um, in the case of those two particular brands, they get a lot of returns and, um, I guess, complaints. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it's great. Um, good preemptive work by Just. Um, I, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think, I think, it's, I think it's a Y. I think it's a Y. It's Just. Uh, Just. Yeah. Yeah, used to Bapplebaum and also Annabelle. But all other pens, um, you have to actually request 
that she checked them before yeah. they're shipped to you. And because she only works on Saturdays, usually there's a bit of a delay for you to get your pen. She also told me that of all the pens from Pelican and Visconti that she checks, on average, about uh, 70% of Visconti nibs have something a little bit wrong with them and require teaking. <laughs> and of Pelican nibs, about 40%. And this just confirms to me of every single assumption I've ever had about Visconti yeah. and Pelican. <laughs> and I'm allowed to now lord this over Aiden when he think, talks about Visconti. I think Visconti. With, with Pelican, she was saying it's largely over-polishing. Yeah. And uh, I believe it was more than that for... With for, Visconti. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some nips just do not write. She she was she right. was she was adamant that she's like once the once they write they're glorious and she mm-hmm. said uh, Visconti is one of her favorite pens to to write with and Annabelle did also say that she's also very exacting so she's very picky about her nibs yeah so yeah, yeah. if you're not as picky maybe you'll accept a higher <laughs> proportion of nibs but still yeah. like seventy percent that's that's yeah. pretty terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've got to tell you, it's it's pretty entertaining <laughs> to hear numbers on it, right? Yes. Because yeah, so yeah, much yeah. of what we what, what we talk about, it's it's only what we experience, right? And yes. Secondhand anecdotal knowledge, but to actually talk to someone who's written and looked at hundreds, probably, of nibs, a, under, a large sample a size, a large sample size of nibs <laughs> under a loop with an expert eye, to have that stat is just priceless. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Uh, no, I knew, I knew you'd enjoy that, actually. I, I will say that um, I think um, the the Pelicans, by and large, had like less less issues, <laughs> um, according to her. And look, uh, ov- overall, they, they appeared to not be as uh, widespread as the, the Visconti stuff. Like, it, it was like just an over-polishing or, or whatever. Yeah. Minor, yeah. minor issues. I do like pelicans. I mean, if I liked the shape of them a bit more, then that that orange one that's coming out would be already pre-ordered. But I I don't like the shape of them as as much. Whereas the Sailor Tequila Sunrise is I pre-ordered well in advance and is now on the way. Leo, you really like pelican nibs, don't you? Yes, I am a nib chaser, and so I really can't comment on Visconti, because I only have one. At Pelicans, I have... But you have tried a big sample size of both Mont Blanc and Pelican nibs. Yes. You've got a vintage 03B, if I recall. On, on, on what size I want. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> and so, my, my, my only comment about modern Pelican is that they, they, they lean a little dry, and it's a little stiff. I don't really like them. The, the IB is very good on the M800 and the 14C on M400. They're very good. When you say that they're a little bit stiff, that makes me very curious to try a vintage Pelican, like a BB or an OB. Like like M800s first around like 1987. So like they, they have 14C, they have PN mark, they have EN mark, they have double check, and then later it's a single check. But the older ones, are. it feels like more effort has been put into refining their shape. The BBs are stumps. Mm-hmm. Modern BBs are blobs. Yeah. I, th- I think they have a they don't have enough character for my liking. Well, that goes on to something that um, Annabelle said, I think, that you identified, Diana, about the feel of vintage nibs. I don't have a lot of experience with vintage, but I do know that the Parker Vacuumatic that I had, and it was specifically a, a firm nib on production, and there was nothing that would have particularly, you know, like no 
cuts no long tines that would have made it specifically suited, but it was real soft. Um, yeah. But I, I, yeah, I don't have a whole, whole lot of interaction with vintage nibs apart from a, a pair of vacuumatics. Well, when Annabelle mentioned the fact that one of the differences between old gold nibs and newer gold nibs is simply the matter of time. And that's something that I don't think gets talked about enough because we talk about gold content, we talk about the manufacturing and different technologies that were used in those days. But sometimes, you know, things are just bloody old and age also (laughs) changes the character of materials and metals, right? And just constant pressing down and stress, um, even if it's not broken or fractured, you know, micro stress fractures will change how a nib writes um, before it actually breaks. So I think when people are talking about how much they love the feel of a vintage gold nib, it's not something that I don't think you can reasonably expect to recreate with a modern day gold Mm -hmm. nib, unless you put it through, you know, like a artificial um, aging process, maybe. I really liked her point about like, oh, it's been through multiple cycles of hot and cold, hot and cold. Yeah. And then I suddenly had this idea of like, what if I made the machine that accelerated this process? <laughs> That's what I was thinking as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I definitely, I worry for some people's nibs because I know we have a, a lot of experimenters. Yeah, I mean, you could like plunge it into ice and then hot water and, then, I, I, you know, just repeated... Just the uh, like thermal stress, just the... Experiment. <laughs> well, um, I, I I would love to see the nib that you subject that to, and I hope it's not a Naginata. Well, if anyone if anyone's going to do it, Annabelle will. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> the well, goldsmith we did, will do that. We, we also did talk about uh, the super unique steel nibs, uh, and you are an owner of uh, one of those, uh, Dana. You have uh, one of Ralph's. Um, which one do you have? So Annabelle mentioned that of steel nibs, she doesn't find the feel of steel nibs on paper particularly interesting. I think that's what she said, with the exception of Ralph Reyes's um, experimental nibs. And he takes, I think, Yovo steel nibs and does things to them i'm not sure exactly what he does to make them more flexible or to change the tipping and things like that and he uh, was wonderful and sent me one of his prototypes for the regalia crown epilogue nib um about a month ago before the sydney pen show it's the three level so it's three nibs stacked on top of each other cut the tip is such a way that it's like um, a Sailor Concord. So that was the inspiration for the nib. If you hold it the right way up, it's like an extra fine. And if you turn it upside down, it becomes, I think, a triple broad. And it has a like an overfeed, a metal flap on top of the nib to, <laughs> to deliver more ink to the nib, which is what you probably need when you have three nibs on top of each other. But the problem is I, have, I haven't tried this nib yet to my greatest, <laughs> my great shame, because this is a Yovo number six nib with an integrated ebonite feed. And I don't have any custom pens that will take oh, that. Oh, dear. <laughs> I have no pens that will take this nib. Surely. <laughs> No, no, nothing. No, no, no. I just ordered a Franklin Christophe, you know. That's easy. To yeah, get. I couldn't find a Franklin Christophe Modi I like. I think Max has offered to make you one while he makes uh, my custom. He did, and I, and I might have accepted his very kind offer. But I'm also looking at getting a Opus 88 demonstrator, which I think is this oh. massive demonstrator pen. Hold on. A Japanese eyedropper, which I believe will take the number, number six. I need to see your desk set up, Leo, because you keep leaning in different directions. And <laughs> yeah, that's the one, Leo. Things. It's huge. 
Yeah, it is. It's, it's big. quite it's a large pen. I want to know how many mils of ink that pen will take. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure we can we can find that and we'll we'll have it ready for the the next one. But I wanted to ask our listeners: Do you have any other suggestions of what pen bodies will take this Yovo Number Six? Um, I think it's a screw-in nib unit. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's not a Franklin Christoph. I also looked recently, and I'm not super enthused with any of the current line. I think they must be put between production. Yeah. Um, releases, yeah, I think I think the really um, ex- really interesting ones get sold off very quickly at the pen shows. I think maybe maybe Pen BBS is also number six. Pen BBS. Okay. Yeah, Pen BBS that. is that other demonstrator one that I'm seeing a lot of. They have a lot of different colored plastic stuff going on. Okay, and I'm also looking at um, Pen eighteen eleven one eighteen one eleven Yoshi. Yoshi. I can't remember the surname, but um, yeah, so David Parker, he showed me one of his uh, 18 111 pens, and they're beautiful. So maybe they'll take a number six. If you know they will, whether or not they will take a regalia nib, let me know um, on Instagram or just email. I us. think they do. I, I just saw one like yesterday. You think they do? And the owner just swapped nibs all the time. Okay, if you know for sure, let us know <laughs> or let me know. Okay, that takes us to our recommendation section where we can recommend something we like that doesn't have to be pen or stationery related. Leo, would you like to go first, being being our guest today? Okay, so um, it is a really weird thing. If if, if you have slightly fancier pens that you don't want to knock around, uh, I would really I could really suggest buying a pen tube. They're like one HKD on Taobao, but the minimum order quantity is like two hundred. And so I've got a lot of these. We, we we group bought like 200 pen tubes, and then for like four USD, I the minimum auto quantity was like I bought 500 plastic tube. So packaging. so uh, listeners who can't see what Leo is showing me, these are like the yeah the the two piece plastic tubes that uh, yeah. pen companies used to tr- to ship pens in basically. Yes. Um, they're a safe way to travel with pens. What have you got in there, Leo? Is that a it Nakaya? It looks like a Nakaya. Yeah. I don't know, just a pen. <laughs> uh, how many pens do you have around you? And the best part about these, like this particular slice, is that I can fit eight of them in, in this very weird pencil case. <laughs> the amount of weird paraphernalia you get as like, oh, the pens are expensive, so let's buy pen pouches, pen tubes, tu- cases for tubes, pouches for your pouches to protect your pouches, the pen, you know. The pen case that looks like um, like a suitcase. Yeah, it, yeah it's like a Ramoa. <laughs> like a Ramoa suitcase. So the um, the pen tubes on, on Taobao is your recommendation. Di, do you have a recommendation today? Okay. I'm going to recommend something that's very local. So in Sydney, we're ba- I'm based in Sydney and so is Chuck. In Sydney, there is a restaurant called Key from executive chef Peter Gilmore. Um, he's quite well known in foodie circles in Australia. And Key is his flagship restaurant. It's in Circular Key or The Rocks, um, a very, very touristy area, beautiful views of the harbour. Um, Key went into renovations um, and it was closed, I think, for two, three months in mid-2018. And it just reopened, I think, and last month, maybe in September. And um, my boyfriend and I and two of his friends, we went last weekend just because it was, it was the day that I could get a booking for all of us. Mm-hmm. And I am happy to report the new key is better than the old key. Um, <laughs> and if you have any reservations... 
about uh, Peter Gilmore. I think he's really outdone himself, and I would highly recommend going to Key. Good stuff. Uh, I'm going to recommend uh, an artist that is uh, on the Central Coast, and uh, it will send Central Coast of New South Wales, that is, uh, for, for our listeners not in Sydney. Um, and I recently received a, a little bit of artwork that someone had commissioned as a present for me. They're on Instagram as Dead End Design. No, no spaces or underscores or anything. Um, and they did a tremendous uh, portrait of Lemon uh, that I will include. <laughs> that I will include in the uh, Aww, show notes. Um, and uh, she she appears to have done a whole bunch of other uh, portraits for cats, and um, she she does stuff for animals. So you know, look if you're if you want a, a portrait of your pet, um, or you know just uh, some. Uh, commissioned artwork i'm i'm real happy with the stuff i got from dead end design did you send her a photo of that uh so uh, i'm i'm pretty sure i can pick the photo that the uh the person who because i because i got it as a surprise okay so i'm pretty sure the the person i i know pretty much which photo it is it's it's a very good it's a very good recreation of the photo because it's a photo which it does and it's also a photo where she's got like kind of a wonky eye it looks like she does because of her hair now she she does great work and I, I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, well, over the internet, uh, it's been good doing another episode. Uh, thank you for joining us, Leo. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll get you on for more episodes in the future um, with more of your leads that uh, you will not disclose. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Nice to nice to talk with you guys again. Thank you once again, Di. Uh, I will see you at the next uh, meet or the next recording session. Thanks, Chuck. And uh, as always, I'm Chuck Montano. Until next time, listeners, ink well. Future episodes of this podcast can be found at thenibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hop onto iTunes, rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends. Want to share your thoughts, suggestions, feedback? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at thenibsection at gmail.com. You can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter and Instagram. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Chuck Montano and Diana Zai. Recording and editing was done by Chuck Montano and Diana Zai. Special thanks this episode goes to Annabelle Hiller of Apple Bomb. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.